Now, uh, follow as I read uh, a portion of God's Word from 1 Chronicles 17. Uh, That 1 through 4 is wrong. Um, That's my fault. But guys, um, I, I don't know what to tell you. I just know that while I was in Baku, this story um, captured my attention for five weeks. I probably read it 50 times uh, in those five weeks, maybe more. It's a story that sends its tentacles out throughout all the way to the New Testament, through the rest of this book of First uh, Chronicles. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a turning point in, in some ways. Um, so I'm going to try to explain some of that this morning. So you follow. Let me read it to you first. <clears throat> now, when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord. It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, um, I read this story over and over and over again while I'm back here. It, um, it, it just, it, there's a lot in here. Um, for instance, uh, it, it's, the main character is, of course, David. David is the hero of Israel. David is the, is the one who united all of Israel under one kingdom. He was the one that led her out into battle and, and won. Um, because of David's leadership, Israel occupied a place geopolitically and militarily that she had never known before. 
not only that, David is living in a time of luxury. He's living in a lap of luxury. You can see it when he says, um, um, you know, I'm living in this house of cedar, you know. Uh, to his credit, he doesn't allow his prosperity to turn his heart away from God. In fact, he wants to do something great for God. Um, but now he comes uh, to this place in his life where he feels like God has provided this nice place for him to live. So I got this idea. I'm going to build him a house, a nice one. Only to be told, no, you're not. Um, We're not told in this passage, but we're told in three other places in the scriptures why David was told no. It was because David was a man of bloodshed. He was a mighty warrior, killed a lot of people. Um, David... You're not going to build me a house. Do I, need to, do I need to mention the name Uriah the Hittite to you? Not to mention Bathsheba. David, the way I see it, you're a big old hypocrite talking about you're going to build me a house. And after all you've done, You know, guys, maybe some of that is the product of sanctified imagination. At least I hope it's sanctified. But what I'm about to say I don't think is imagination at all. Can you imagine how hard it was on David to hear? No. No, you're not. You're not going to do this. In fact, if there's going to be any house building around here, I'm the only one that's going to be doing the house building. Oh, I I want a house built all right. But not by you. You know, guys, that's why I loved his response that starts in verse 16. I didn't read that part, but I did mention it. I mean, I alluded to it two weeks ago. The response that David gives to being told no. I mean, this is the hero of Israel. This is the, uh, the, the great star. And he says something that on the surface seems to be pretty good. And God sends him a message, uh-uh. And then his response is just, it's just really precious to me. Uh, he doesn't pout. He doesn't act insulted like... But he says in verse 16, who am I, Lord? He sits before the Lord, and I even love that picture. He goes in, and he sat before the Lord. Can't you just see him? The the king of Israel who just thought he was doing something really good, and then he got slammed and and then reminded that he was a man of bloodshed, and and he goes in and he sits before the Lord, and, and, and as he's wringing his hands and... He says, bring it on, Lord. Tell me who I really am. It seems, Lord, that 
that, that dwelling in my personal peace and prosperity, I've, I've gotten this inflated view of myself. The very idea to think that that I could build you a house after what I've done. What I really need is not a house that I built. What I need is forgiveness. I want to be one who's, who spends the rest of my life leaning on the sacrifice. If my sin is ever to be forgiven, there's got to be some kind of sacrifice for my sin. And here I'm thinking, I'm going to do this hotshot thing for you. I don't need to be building you a house. I need to look to the one that you ultimately build. God, I'll, 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 be, I'll spend the rest of my life looking to the one that you build for me, the one that's according to your own heart, the one that you're going to show to Ezekiel later on, the one where sin is paid for, now, guys, from here at this point, it's not as if David slinks into the background, you rejected and never heard of again. In fact, um, au contraire, um, if you'll stay with me, you'll notice um, in verse 10 of chapter 17, it says, God says, and I will subdue your enemies. And do you know what chapter 18, 19, and 20 are about? God's subduing his enemies. You get battle after battle after battle that David wins because God has promised to subdue him from his enemies. And in his so doing, David is gathering materials so that the house can be built. Look at chapter 18, verse 8. And from Tiphath and from Kun, cities of Hadadezer, David took a large amount of bronze. With it, Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars and the vessels of bronze. Do you see what's happening, ladies and gentlemen? David wants to build a house. God says no. David responds in repentance and humility. <clears throat> and so God moves on to, 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 to eliminate the enemies. And while he's doing it, David is gathering materials. He's got lots of bronze over here. What are you going to do with that bronze, David? Well, I don't know, but they may need it in the building of the house. That's 18, 19, and 20. That's uh, Defeating the enemies and gathering the materials. And then you come to chapter 21. Chapter 21 is ugly, ladies and gentlemen. It's the place where David wants to uh, measure his might. You know, he wants to see just, you know, how big his army is. He's got all these victories that he just had, so now I want to see just how strong am I. <laughs> so I want you to take a census tells that to Joab, his general. Joab says, don't do that. David says, I'm going to do that. Go, go take the census. So he goes and takes the census, and that cost Israel 70,000 lives because David wanted to know how mighty he was. By the way, you know, there's a, there's a Germantown version of that, you know? We want to know how mighty we are. We just measure it differently. 
How much money do I have? How big is my 401k? What about my job security and all my friends? But that's somewhat of a digression. You come back to this story in, in, in 1 Chronicles 21, and this whole ugly scene where 70,000 people die, and yet God uses that event. He even takes David's evil, David's sin, and what does he do with it? Well, he uses it to locate the site on which the house will be built. Even this, this ugly episode of David's pride, back up in the news, God uses that to serve his purposes and his plan to build a house. You know, don't you, that at the end of chapter 21, um, uh, that's when they discover the spot where the temple will be built. Look at 22.1. Then David said, here shall be the house of the Lord God and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. You see, not only does this episode lead to the discovery of the site, but we're also told just a little bit about what this house is going to be. Oh, there's going to be an altar in it. And what's going to take place on that altar? Well, some burnt offerings. Burnt offerings for what? For sin. So in the midst of this whole ugly thing that David does, God shows all of Israel where the site is. And then he tells them a little bit about what is going to take place in that house that David was not allowed to build. Um, and then you come to chapter 23. And what you find there in chapter 23 and chapter 24, David is organizing the Levites and the priests. For what? The house. Then you go to chapter 25 and he, and he um, uh, arranges the musicians. He gathers musicians. For what? The house. And then in chapter 26, you get the gatekeepers. They're, they're put in place. For what? The house. And then chapter 27, the military is, is organized to defend and protect what? The house. Because this house that you get introduced to in chapter 17 is the focus of the rest of the book and it sends out its tentacles all the way into the New Testament. No, David. You're not going to build it. I'm going to build it, says God. And that is one of the motifs that control the large segments of the Scriptures. You know, we come to chapter 28 and 29, which I think is the very apex of David's reign, but we're going to have to save that for another time. But just know this, chapters 28 and 29, it's about the house, still about the house. Oh, there's going to be a house, all right, David, but it's not the one that you're going to build for me. It's the one that I'm going to build for you. In fact, David, in that house that I'm going to build, it's going to have an altar in it. Burnt offerings are going to take place. You know what for, David? For sin. Sin like yours, David. Sin like Jimmy Young's and sin like yours. 
Now, you go back to the story in 27 and 17. And in that story, I told you this two weeks ago. I said this story is important because of Old Testament, the Old Testament history of redemption. Because in it is embedded a messianic promise. Did you see it? Gang, it starts in verse 11. Um, God says to David that this house that I'm going to build um, is going to involve one of your descendants. When your days are fulfilled, walk with your father. I will raise up one of your offspring. Um, but it's at this point, ladies and gentlemen, that David just doesn't quite have the big picture. He's thinking, oh, I didn't get to build the house, but you're going to use my son. You're going to use Solomon. But God has a very different descendant in mind. The house that God is going to build is going to be much bigger than the one that Solomon built. Much bigger. Guys, um, do you see in the story this idea of forever? He shall build a house for me and I will establish, this is verse 12, I will establish his throne forever. Uh, and forever is mentioned like four times in those next verses. Tell me, did Solomon's, the house that Solomon built last forever? No, it didn't. In fact, it was destroyed in 586 by Nebuchadnezzar. Because you see, God doesn't have Solomon in mind. Now, David thought he did. But that's not who, who God had in mind. He's got another descendant in mind. And I want to show you that. I said this story sends out tentacles to the New Testament. Let me show you that. Guys, if you can keep your, keep your finger here, but go find Matthew 22. Now, while you're looking for Matthew 22, you know that in Matthew chapter 1, we are given the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's in verse 6, and guess whose name is found in verse 6? David's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the descendants, one of the ancestors of, of Jesus Christ is David's. In fact, Romans chapter 1, um, verse 3 says, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So, indeed, Jesus is a descendant of David's. Okay, you got that? Now, look at this story in Matthew 22. Starting in verse 41, it's a somewhat familiar story. Um, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's version tells us that this whole little dialogue that takes place here um, took place in the temple. What temple? Well, the one that Solomon built. No, no, not really. It was destroyed in 586. I said that. But Herod comes along in 20 BC and rebuilds it. Not as big, but it's on the same site. And this exchange goes on in that building. There's a group of um, Jesus' opponents that have gathered to embarrass him with some questions. And so they've asked him this question and this question, and, and, and it turns out, turns out that Jesus wasn't the one that got embarrassed. The questioners did. And so Jesus in verse 41 says, well, let me ask you guys a question. Tell me, the, the Christ, whose descendant is he? 
He's descended from whom? And they immediately, it's right there. It's right there. It's, um, they immediately answer uh, in verse 42, uh, the, um, um, the son of David. Listen, Jesus, we know our Old Testaments. We know that story in First Chronicles 17. <laughs> you don't think we're stupid, do you? No. No, the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. <clears throat> and once they say that, Jesus has them by the jugular. Because then he alludes to Psalm 110, verse 1. Not only, he he quotes it. Um, The most often quoted psalm in the entire New Testament is Psalm 110. And, you know, I've, I've shown you this before, but do you know what's in Psalm 110, 1, don't you? It's that statement where the Lord said to my Lord. That's the one he quoted over here. But in the Hebrew, in Psalm 110, there are two Lords. One of them is capitalized. The other one is all caps. Do you know why the one is all caps? Because it's translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. And Yahweh says to David. And so Jesus over here in Matthew 22 shows his opponents something they'd never seen before. Tell me, fellas. If the Messiah is the son of David, then why does David call him Yahweh? Hey, fellas, tell me. Is the Messiah the son of David or is he the Lord of David? He's both. You see, guys, the one around whom this house that God builds, the one who is at the center of it, is not only a descendant of David's, he's also David's Lord. Um... Jesus, having fielded all those little questions, has now told them something that they never knew before and something that David didn't understand either. Oh, David, I'm going to build a house. Oh, and you think it's going to be Solomon, do you? Well, I understand why you'd get that impression, David. But no, I'm not talking about Solomon because Solomon's reign is not forever. I'm going to build a house. But the central figure in that house that I build will be my son, David, not yours. All of this, ladies and gentlemen, is is back here in seed form in 1 Chronicles 17.
Gang, this whole second half of the book of First Chronicles is about a house that would be built by one of David's descendants that David was told no that he couldn't build, but he gathers the materials and then he has that ugly episode where the site is determined. And that's the place on which God will build his house. But not by Solomon. Let me show you this one other thing and then we'll wrap it up. If you're still in um, First Chronicles, look at chapter 21, verse 30. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Do you see that? Guys, every commentary and every scholar that I know of would tell you that when you see that formula, the angel of the Lord, it's talking about a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. This is what's called a Christophany. Now, if I'm right about that, David was afraid to go because of the angel of the Lord has got a sword in his hand. But centuries later, the angel of the Lord is going to come back to this spot. And he won't be holding the sword. The sword will be used against him. Because you see, the house that God is going to build is going to be built by the one who offers the biggest redemptive sacrifice ever. Large enough, wonderful enough to pay for David's sin. And... To pay for mine. And to pay for yours. But it won't have anything to do with the house that Solomon built. Except they'll take place on the same spot. Guys, God wants a house all right. It's just not the one that David would build. It's not the one that Solomon built. It's not the one that Herod built. It's not the one that, that I would build. What kind of house does God want? Well, let me tell you one feature about it. And then I'm going to add several features next week. But here's the key feature of the house that God will build. It has at the center of it a sacrifice. God's house is known as the place of sacrifice. 
the very essence of the house that God builds. Is sacrifice. I'll tell you more about it next week. But for now, let me leave you with this. All of us, all of us, ladies and gentlemen, have to get to the place that David got to. All of us have to get to the place where we can say something similar to what he said in verse 16 of chapter 17. Who am I? What was I thinking? Me do something great for you? Why, ladies and gentlemen, the whole idea is backwards. But I say to you, it is the religion of 98% of this planet. The notion that, okay, if I'm ever going to get on God's good side, well, I got to go out there and do something really good for God, and then I can really impress him so that he will reward me for my having done something great for him. No. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, the only way any of us come into a reconciled relationship with God is by looking to the sacrifice that he made for me, not the one I make for him. Guys, our only hope for forgiveness of sin is rooted in not what I do for God. but in what God has done for me. Through David's son, who was also David's savior. We know him by the name. Jesus. Our Father, would you would you show us just how backwards this whole notion is that to ever have a right reconciled relationship with you that I got to do something good for you. Oh God, For those who are here today who are thinking that if they just go to church enough, if they give enough money, if they do enough good things for the Kiwanis Club and and help senior citizens across the street, 
that you will be pleased with all the great things they did for you. When in fact, the only thing that we have to offer you is our sin. Our best deeds are but splendid sins. What we need is not to point to a house that we built, but to point to what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. The kingdom that lasts forever. The kingdom that is reigned over by your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, if you've brought people here this morning who have not yet met that Savior, would you cause them to see that what they must rely on is not what they did for you, but what you did for them. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.